But the thing is that in a interaction between two people, there are so many layers of complexity. It's not just what I feel the most like doing. It's in relationship to how you are going to react, mm. to how I'm going to react, to how you are going to react. Yeah. <laughs> So, Alex, why would you mitigate your speech for the purpose of not being explicit in what you say? Well, I think that depends on the situation. There's many different ways in which you would mitigate your speech for making it less explicit. But I can think of one, for example, here in which a teacher might not make everything as explicit as she could make the thoughts because the student might not be able to learn them that way. Mm. But let's say you are teaching a three-year-old kid to write. He's not going to be able... I, I don't know if they learn to write at three. I think it's later at six. I think maybe sometimes. I'm not totally sure either, though, to be honest. It's been a while since I was three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. So whenever you're six and you're learning, she's not going to pause it to you the most complex text and tell you, hey, this is how you should be writing. So if you don't achieve this, you are useless as a person. <laughs> oh, you're, oh God, that's a brutal teacher. <laughs> yeah, That's the way of me thinking of something the most explicit way of saying this is objective and you are now super far from it. So you should be able to do this. Maybe that's not the definition of explicitness. They could be explicit in different ways for different goals. I think any good teacher to like a six-year-old, you know, they wouldn't be like, you need to be as good as this professional writer that's 30 years older than you. I don't think any teacher would say something like that, but they would present a certain goal and maybe they could be explicit about that certain goal. Like you need to write these letters in this order to create these words. This is the word that you need to do. Copy it. And you need to understand what it means. That's an explicit goal. Tangible goal. Yeah. Very, very tangible. They're being very explicit about what they need to do. They could probably mitigate it if the student doesn't understand. Say the student doesn't understand what the word means and say the word is some type of animal. Maybe they mitigate their speech or they add things into their speech in that example by adding sounds of a cow. This one goes moo or this word means this and they point out a picture or something like that. Because then they couldn't be extremely explicit in their speech. They couldn't be cow means cow or cow means animal with black spots normally. Cow means the animal we get our milk from. The kid probably wouldn't know. But I don't know if that would be totally mitigation. What would you think? Would that be mitigation still? I don't know. That's adaptation to the incapacity of the other person with which you are interacting to understand your message in the highest capacity you have to send it. Mm, true. You would be adding things to your speech. Or subtracting. Or subtracting, yeah. I think in that case you wouldn't be explicit, but I don't know if it would be the same as mitigation. Because with mitigation, I think maybe it has more to do with how the person will react or perceive, and so you are mitigating your speech for that purpose. It's a bit different than just being explicit with somebody, because in this teaching example, they're purposely being not explicit in the way that they know to be explicit. But they are also being explicit with the person at their level. Say there's a nuclear scientist, and this nuclear scientist is explaining to an engineer how to create this nuclear power plant. Well, this is a bad example, because they obviously need to be as explicit as possible. But to the engineer, to the architect, they have to explain things about what to build, but they don't need to explain exactly the purpose and the reason as for why, the repercussions as for why it could be entirely wrong. They just need to explain with sufficient detail to the architect 
that the architect can make exactly what the nuclear scientist wants. So they're being very explicit at the level that they need to be with the architect. They don't need to be entirely explicit as to exactly the reason why and the intricacy of all the science that the nuclear science that goes into it. So would that be them not being explicit? Or would that be them just not being explicit to the capacity that they can be explicit? They would be explicit in relation to maximizing the objective that in this case is building the nuclear power plant mm. and not transmitting the best possible way the knowledge that he has accumulated through decades of research. Mm. But then he could still be explicit in his speech. I feel like it would be a bit different to say that there's another scenario where there are two people one person has just done something that he or she doesn't want the other person to know. And say they're mitigating their speech to not be explicit with this person because they don't want the other person to find out. So and it's different from the case with the architect and the nuclear scientist because this person is purposely not being explicit even though they know that they can be explicit at the same capacity with the other person because they share the same capacity of whatever the thing that they did was. Whereas with the nuclear scientist and the architect, they cannot share the same capacity of explicitness because they have two different professions. The architect can't be as explicit with the nuclear scientist as a nuclear scientist can't be as explicit with the architect just because they're working with different materials. Whereas these two people say one cheated on the other or some scenario like that where one person is worried about what the other person will find out. We talked about this before. Parents and a teen just went out drinking for the night or something. I think this is a better example. The teen went out drinking and bought shots for everybody, had so much to drink and was just like totally hammered. And then the next morning was like super hungover and then saw his or her parents later in the day. The parents were like, oh, how was your night and morning? The teenager who maybe doesn't want to disappoint his parents or his or her parents because they don't like it when their child drinks too much. They say, oh, I just had a couple drinks and then I slept in in the morning rather than saying I got totally hammered and I was super hungover this morning. They both have the capacity to understand, all right, totally hammered and hungover. But the child is being purposely not explicit, purposely mitigating his or her speech to their parents for the purpose of not being explicit. So that would be a bit different, do you think? Yeah, completely. The origin of why we're not as explicit in what happened is different. In the case of the engineer and the nuclear scientist, it might be because we have a cognitive capacity and we cannot go to top one percentile in proficiency in every single facet of human knowledge that's inviolable and the fact that someone goes into that level of proficiency at anything at all it's remarkable so we shouldn't be expecting everyone to know everything about everything you know Mm. we're dealing with a limitation that we have and that's why we cannot be as proficient in our expressions with what we know but in the other case in the case of the child who drank a lot that's a conflict of interest there's a misalignment between the interest of the two people in their communication the child likes drinking a lot and the parents don't and the parents condition the good going of their relationship to the children not drinking a lot the children is manipulating what she expects the parents are going to perceive in order to minimize the negativeness of their reaction from them so she can keep doing the good thing while not having the negative Mm. consequence Mm -hmm. So this also happens, let's say I propose you, let's go to the cinema, there's a new film, and you're like, oh, is this asshole really proposing me to go to another shitty film that I really don't feel like going? That might be what you feel like saying, but you're not going to say that. Because if you said that, 
you might be predicting me to respond in a bad way. But if we both were always ultra explicit about everything, you could just say, oh, I think that you're an asshole by proposing this to me. <laughs> and I will be like, oh, okay, the fact that you feel like I'm an asshole makes me believe that you are an asshole too. <laughs> They probably just wouldn't be friends at that point. <laughs> I might be able to conceive you as an asshole in certain facets. We're not perfect, so you That's are. True. You are an asshole in certain things, and I, <laughs> and I am too. So Depends on what you mean by asshole, but yeah. Irritant, or like, I don't want you to do that, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I want you to do the other things. Yeah. But I've never told you to not do certain things. Why is it? Is it because you are perfect? Or is it because I'm not telling that because I'm predicting that you're going to respond badly? Because mm. our relationship is not deep enough to be able to be explicit enough about everything. Mm. It's certainly the second, not the first one. So yeah, yeah, this actually brings up an interesting question. Does your relationship have to be super, super deep with somebody to be perfectly explicit with them? Because can't you have a deep relationship with somebody and not be explicit about something? Oh yeah, you're right, you're right. I don't know. Maybe it's possible. I think maybe in a perfect relationship, you're entirely truthful about everything. You don't beat around the bush and you tell them exactly what you mean all the time. That could be a bit difficult because people are very different. But if for some reason you agree on everything, what is the relationship predicated upon? Is it predicated upon these two people always getting along? Or is it predicated upon being as honest as you can be? and working out, making compromises, working out what the consequences are of whatever you say, which you're just being honest. Like say one person loves Marvel, another person hates Marvel. They're married, they've been in a relationship for a long time. Say scenario one, their relationship is predicated upon honesty. And so one person one day realizes, oh gosh, I hate Marvel. I can't watch it anymore. They tell the person, I hate Marvel. Ever want to watch it again? <laughs> <laughs> then the other person's like, oh, well, okay. And if it's based on compromise, they're probably just going to be like, all right, well, you don't have to watch Marvel with me. That's totally fine. That could get in the way of some things. Maybe they watch a movie every night and this person wants to watch Marvel and this person really doesn't want to watch Marvel. Maybe they don't like it, but that maybe since they express their desire, their feelings that they don't like it, they won't watch it every single night. They make a compromise. But then say there's another scenario where these two people, for some reason, in an unhealthy way, have predicated the relationship on them agreeing on everything, which is a horrible foundation to have in any relationship. It's not, because you don't need to agree on everything. You can agree to disagree or agree to agree to disagree. That's also making compromise. By agree on everything, I mean like you have to be the same person you like everything. It's harshly codependent. Okay. Do you okay, see? Okay. Yeah, you see. Because yeah, yeah. I do agree with you. Like you can agree to disagree. Like the Marvel couple, yeah. you know, the the ones who are based on uh, explicitness and honesty. And say there's one couple where it's like they really feel, gosh, I hate Marvel. I hate it so much. And then for some reason they're in an argument, and then they decide to be truthful. I hate Marvel. And the other person's like, what? You've always told me you love Marvel. And so then realizes, oh, they've actually just been lying to me this whole time. We don't actually agree on everything. So that shatters the core of the relationship since the core of the relationship is predicated upon them agreeing with everything hmm. and them doing the same things. Let me give a quick thought here. I think that if you've got to agree in everything at the first core of complexity to be able to keep with your relationship, the amount of strain that your relationship is capable to withstand is zero. In the moment one of us separates minimally from our common tastes, the relationship is going to shatter. But in the moment we accept some kind of disagreement, we allow a buffering. I stopped liking Marvel today. Just randomly it happened. Yeah, it happened. It has fluctuated. It mm. always fluctuates how much you like something. Not with Lord of the Rings. I will always like Lord of the Rings. It will never change. <laughs> I've never watched that. But... Oh, Alex, come on. <laughs> well, never mind. So 
agreeing to disagree gives buffering room for chaos to occur or fluctuations to not create the shattering. It's like it gives robustness. And if you agree to agree to disagree, you're giving even more robustness. And depends on how much it's like not black or white, it's progressive. You can agree more to disagree or less. This was what I was wanting to say. Interesting. But then in one instance, say that the has a tolerance of zero, a tolerance of 0.1, and that 0.1 just shatters because they had an argument and realized that they don't agree on, on everything. Then the relationship shatters, but then maybe they can recover and put it together, form it a different way. Maybe that allows them an opportunity to form the relationship in a different way because it's all in pieces. You know, you put the pieces back together. I'm pretty sure there's a song about that somewhere. Put the pieces back together in some other way to where you can't accept that there is some buffering. And then if it does shatter, then I think that can't put it back together, the people aren't willing, then it's probably not a relationship worth having. Because if it shatters and the people aren't willing to make compromise, which from this scenario, it seems like the Marvel couple that was honest about it and made a compromise, let's just say them the compromise couple, they were able to move on. They were able to solve their problems and watch Marvel just one night a week. Surely that's tolerable enough. Marvel isn't going to inflict pain on the person who hates Marvel, maybe a, a little bit. Maybe they can just fall asleep during the movie. That's not that bad. It's pretty easy to do. I've done it many times. But then the other one, they shatter. And if they can't put it back together, then they're gone. And that's probably a good relationship not to have. So what would you say are some ethical complications of mitigating your speech? What in there Would there be some scenarios where it could be ethically preferable to do it or ethically wrong to do it? I think that there's a huge relationship with markets here. The being mitigating your speech leads to you not knowing the precise price of a stock mm. you see it blurry it's not crisp you don't see it the precise point at which the capitalization of the company is going through there's an uncertainty but if you are extremely precise and explicit you make it up a dot and mm. in that dot you can attack it or you can like analyze it and say okay this is where i am and this is what i am so let's deal with that but if you are not explicit, it's like you live an infinite amount of universes. Maybe not infinite. It's like, obviously, I'm not national socialist by what I'm saying. But because of the ambiguity of what I'm saying, you don't know exactly how I am. But there's some other things I'm not. That ambiguity of possible universes in which I could be represented in, but in reality, I'm just part of one, makes you not be able to attack me or deal with me in the most efficient way. But I wouldn't be as hazy or like blurry in your eyes, not being explicit about, about my words, if you were super explicit, hmm. if you were crisp and I knew your personality super well, how you were going to react to almost everything because I, I built a, a mental model of who you are, I wouldn't really want to be blurry. I want to imitate you. I want to be a reflection of how blurry you want to face the situation. Obviously, if you don't know someone and if the relationship is not deep, as I said before, you might want to not, this is me, I don't like pasta and I support free markets. That's not a presentation that you would do, even if that's the best way of presenting yourself. Or maybe that's not, but whatever is the most explicit way of presenting yourself, you wouldn't do it because you still don't know the other person. It's like on a dating app. You're like, I hate dogs. I love cats. Well, I think some people actually do that. The most intimate stuff. You're, yeah, very like like the deepest of the deepest stuff. And you just put it on your Tinder bio. That's it. That's it. And no pictures. <laughs> so I feel like it'd probably be hard to get matches with that because you're so explicit. Like, this is who I am. I like these things. No compromises, et cetera, et cetera. Or, or you compromise things, but you know me. Okay. I'm showing myself as I am. 
I'm giving a good representation of who I am, and I'm not accepting someone who's not doing the same thing as me. I might accept a Bin Laden, who's completely different to me, but if he's representing himself as explicitly as I am, that's the thing limiting who I'm going to accept in my life, not who you are, but how much of you you show or how well you show yourself, you know? So I'm going to just be a reflection of how much I feel you are doing. Or maybe you could all say the same of me, so who starts giving some kind of explicitness in the relationship because that varies between people. You are not as explicit with different people. You might know for the same amount of time. Why? Because of the nature of the relationship. I'm not an expert who might be able to detect exactly what's the thing leading human relationships. But whatever is doing that is the thing making you not want to be as explicit with someone and might be wanting to be more explicit with someone else. And that differentiation is what leads that emergent feature of the relationship that happens from the, I don't know, it's, it might be just random or whatever it might be, the correlation between the coexistence of your personality with mine might be good or bad. So that might be the thing leading it. And so it's like the amount of investment you have in a relationship. You don't want to overinvest or underinvest. You more or less want to be in the same position. You have to match the other person in the amount invested and in the amount expressed or in the position of expressed. And if you detect a mismatch there, you're saying, oh, you are being too explicit with your thoughts. I don't feel comfortable with this. Let's just not go as fast in this relationship or the other way around. I'm being super honest. I would like you to match me or this is not going to work. Do you think this happens? And what do you think it's the factors that affect the explicitness occurring or not occurring when there's a conflict of interest it happens hmm. but yeah what would you say leads to this i think um <clears throat> the thing that you threw in that which makes it ever more complicated is attraction you know like romance or something like that like you being on the same level of explicitness etc etc i think romance complicates basically everything because you can't, especially in during the courting phase of maybe you like this person, maybe they like you, maybe you're talking, et cetera, et cetera. Since there's so many f psychological factors at play and so many ways that one person can react to, say, a simple phrase or simple text, I know this really complicates things because I don't have anything that I could really go off of here because people could react in so many different ways because attraction is so, it hits so deep in every person or not just attraction, but romance, et cetera. Everybody has a different way of going about it. Everybody has a different influence upon them from their lives, say their, their parents or what they perceived as a good relationship or a bad relationship, et cetera, et cetera. So that would make it very difficult to go off of, to examine really a romantic situation like that. But there are certain things that you know, you don't want to be felt like by the other person standard as being needy or like over investing in the relationship. True, there are definitely some standards. It's like, you know, you tell the person explicitly, let's be together for 10 years and you're on like the second date. It's like, maybe some people would actually like that. It depends on the scenario. That I have some friends who've gotten married for less, which is a scary thought, but I think they're doing well. So I'm great for them. But in most scenarios, I feel like that's just not gonna work. And in some scenarios that could work in most scenarios, probably you'd probably scare the person off like, oh, they're already thinking about 10 years online. That's a bit, maybe it's too much for me. You know, maybe it's a little bit too intense, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, there are, there are some things that you could probably base this off of. Some things where you have to mitigate your speech. Say you both express the desire to go to East Asia, to do a long trip there. You both express that desire, but then you're at the very beginning of like dating phase. You don't really know how much you like this person. You're kind of just seeing how things are. You have good chemistry maybe, but you're trying to see like what their character is like, et cetera, you know, testing them out a little bit. 
And so you say, okay, well, hey, you know, if this whole thing goes well between us, maybe we could do a trip there one, or perhaps we'll do a trip there one day. That's, I feel like, mitigated to the point where you leave it open-ended. You don't know if this is going to work out between you two. Whereas you could also say, if you said it very explicitly, like, oh, let's do a trip there, you know, in, let's do a trip there this summer when you've just started dating. That's a bit too explicit. But you wouldn't be hiding your intentions by saying, perhaps we'll do that one day if this whole thing works out. It's mitigated, yeah. But you're also being clear about your intentions because you don't know if it'll work out. You're leaving things purposely open-ended. So in that sense, you're being purposely mitigating, but you're also being explicit in what you really want because you don't know what you want. You see what I mean? So there is some purposeful mitigation but also purposeful explicitness. This is interesting because now we've conjoined the two because if things are open-ended, I guess, then you can be purposefully explicit and mitigate at the same time. Or would it be mitigation? I don't know. What do you think? What do you, what do you have to say about that, Alex? In, in, in the mind of Alex, what's stirring in there? <laughs> I think you're right because being explicit means doing a correct representation of who you are and what your personality is and what your essence is. And if I'm being transparent with what I am, you are able to analyze who I am and see. But who I am might not be willing to go to East Asia now with you. We haven't been for long enough in the relationship. Damn, I was so much looking forward to it. <laughs> the, the person who I am is maybe thinking of it in the future of like leaving the door open to it, like you said, but I'm not throwing myself into this now. You're not like, let's go to East Asia tomorrow, but even though we just met yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the thing is that in an interaction between two people, there's so many layers of complexity. It's not just what I feel the most like doing. It's in relationship to how you are going to react, mm. to how I'm going to react, to how you are going to react. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on what's your capacity to process that. There's a roof in the complexity of your thoughts and my thoughts and everyone's thoughts. Why? Because our processing capacity is not infinite. If it was... I don't know how, how the fuck We'd this We'd probably work. just lay down on the ground and not do anything. It's not just what you feel like doing. It's what you feel doing in relationship to how you expect the other person to react. And if you are a bit smarter, you might think of how the other person is going to react to how she expects you are going to react. And you can keep making this more complex. Mm. And you always have to be one step farther than the other person. And you could also probably test the other person a little bit in some way, say certain things just to see how they would respond in a contained way yeah which would that be ethically problematic to test the person or would it be good no that, that would be great that's exactly what kids do this uh, true they reach for the cookie the parents like no they reach a little bit further no no. <laughs> no 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 i wasn't referring to that i heard jordan peterson talking about this that kids when they met each other they are like let's say they are two kids they're nine years old so they test basic stuff that they learned when they were five something related to uh five-year-old cognitive capacity or maturity and they do that and they are like oh the other person has been able to react to that and they do something that's related to someone who's seven they're like poking the ground they're like seeing oh where is this guy in the progression of maturity and they do it subconsciously they don't they don't do it explicitly like i'm testing if you are stupid or not mm. Or if you are in my level of progression, because it's not that you're stupid, it's just that you become smarter with time. Or yeah, kids might be stupid, but that's the nature of being a kid. Kids are necessarily stupid. Yeah. If you if you walk away with anything from this podcast, know this, kids are necessarily stupid. And the more Dash kid, Alex Buscheda. <laughs> the more kid they are, the more stupid they are. <laughs> but the same thing happened with me. I'm becoming less stupid with time because I'm becoming less kid. Hmm. Never mind. <laughs> they are like seeing where the 
cognitive development of their person is. Mm. And if it's lower than them, they are like not willing to interact with them because they are too childish. Mm. And if they do the most complex trick that they know, something that they might be able to develop it with nine years, they, they've just developed it, and the other person is already at 12, you would feel like you are not capable of dealing with the other person because that person is too complex for you. It's boring for you. Mm. It's not boring because it's stupid. It's boring because you are not able to understand his complexity. Mm. And the kid who's 12, it's not going to make it processable for you. It's not going to adapt the message for you because that requires a higher level of complexity than the 12-year-old level of complexity. Mm. So the nine-year-old is just going to be, oh, this is boring. Fuck it. I'm going to go with my other nine-year-old who might be interested in playing with the cars. Yeah. And or they, the trains. Yeah, well, whatever it is. And they they do that. And in the moment they match someone in complexity, they play with them. That's the optimal point of interaction. So I think that what you said that is saying something to poke how complex the other person is ethical. That's what happens, mm. actually. Mm. So is what happens ethical? This would be like saying, is natural selection ethical or not? I talked with a friend of this. Natural selection kills millions of possible or potential living beings. Mm. The fact that I do it voluntarily in CRISPR or like I have uh, children and I modify it genetically in order to do to have bigger muscles or be more intelligent. And it, it doesn't work. It's infertile or it, it never gets born because he just dies. Is that immoral? Natural selection is doing that randomly. So the fact that I'm doing it with volition is that bad? Where does the immorality come? I think this is too complex of a topic. We could do a few episodes yeah. of just this. But Where does morality come? We could do an infinite number of episodes on that. <laughs> yeah, probably. So is the fact that you are doing it immoral I would say no, because it's already happening mm. in the natural world. You're just replicating it with an intent of improving your life. Yeah, you're, you're using your agency to replicate it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, well, because the reason why I was thinking maybe it could possibly be ethically problematic is if you were testing with somebody with the intention of seeing how they react, but in doing that, you're not being entirely honest with what you're saying to this person. Because you say you say, I want to watch Lord of the Rings. Say I say that to a potential partner, etc. And depending on how they react, I don't actually want to watch Lord of the Rings right now. I mean, I probably do, usually do. But in this situation, say I'm tired and I don't actually want to watch Lord of the Rings. I just want to see how they react. Will they say, oh, no, I hate that. Never want to ever want to watch Lord of the Rings ever. You know, it's like the worst thing ever. Or like, yeah, I'm always down to watch Lord of the Rings. It's the best. But then regardless of if they say, yes, I do want to watch Lord of the Rings, you could just be like, oh, actually, no, I'm kind of tired because you didn't actually want to watch Lord of the Rings. You're not being entirely truthful. Mm. So you're testing how they would respond, but it's not a truthful question that you're using. It has a double meaning to it. And I could see that being problematic because say you expand that, say you do that with your partner in everything, then nothing will be truthful between you two. And say that person does it to you as well. No. You, you just, example here, say everything that you say to your partner, everything they say to you has a double or triple or quadruple or you know quintuple meaning. Like, it would be difficult to have a relationship with that person because you're never going to know what they actually mean and what they, what they do mean. It'd be very difficult. Difficult, but viable. How so? If the other person is able to understand the five meanings of the thing you are saying, that, that would be like mind-blowing. That's true. That would progress things. You could communicate in 
more efficient ways, you know, ever increasing efficient ways if you could communicate five meanings in one thing. But if it's to test the other individual to see how they how they would react. So I, I guess it, it'd be tough because you wouldn't necessarily be entirely truthful. This is the sticker, I think, is that if you say something, a sentence, and it implicates that you want to do something, or maybe you don't want to do something, when really you actually do, that's a logical impossibility in regard to just that one sentence, because you are, well, it's a possibility within communication, say, I want to watch Lord of the Rings, but I don't actually want to watch Lord of the Rings. But for the person to compute that, you're saying, I want to watch Lord of the Rings, but I don't actually want to watch Lord of the Rings. You could respond by saying, yes, let's watch Lord of the Rings. And this person say, the point is that you're being dishonest in the words that you use. So why not just be, why not just use the words that you want to use with that person. But the intent there is not to watch Lord of the Rings. The intent there is to gather information. Yeah, but the person doesn't know that, so you're being dishonest about it. So, But if you are explicit, you are not going to gather the information. There's a proof of work that has to be done. The other person has to process the complexity of the thought you are able to compress. This is a simple scenario, and there could be higher, more complex scenarios as well. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be better to say, do you like Lord of the Rings? Rather than do you want to watch Lord of the Rings to see if they would see what they would how they would react? But, but that because in one way you're you're asking an honest question, another way you're being dishonest. No, you're not because the information you would gather from asking do you like Lord of the Rings is not equivalent to the other way that you were going to posit it because you are like giving the pieces separated to the other person and the other person if it's cognitively capable enough it's going to put them together and give it to you done and you're going to be like oh wow this is amazing this person has actually been able to decrypt the encryption that i did hmm. that's more information that if you just gave the raw data to the other person and said do you like lord of the rings you're only going to get one bit of information yes or no that's true. And they could know that you you like Lord of the Rings and maybe they lied to you before saying that they also like Lord of the Rings. But then when you say, do you want to watch Lord of the Rings? They could be, they could say, without realizing it, they could say, no, I don't want to watch Lord of the Rings. Even though earlier they may have said they like Lord of the Rings. And so you could actually be getting some more intricate information as to how much they actually like Lord of the Rings. Because they don't want to watch it, then do they really like Lord of the Rings? Or do they give an example of why they don't want to watch it, etc. You kind of see what I mean with yeah. this? It's a, it's a funny example, but... If you continue with this, though, into higher and higher complexities within a relationship, can it function? No. No. No, because we're not capable of cognitively processing all this super fast. Yeah. Like three it steps. Would just be a, it'd be a mess. Yeah. <laughs> three steps from the most basic thing, we're not capable of doing it. It's just three. Hmm. And you're just three layers of abstraction. That's super low. That's stupid. Well, stupid in relationship to what I could conceive of happening. That I'm not able to do it. I'm just conceiving that it's existence. A computer could process th a thousand layers of abstraction. I'm not. Why? Because I'm a fucking primate. <laughs> so I think that it is necessary to build those layers of complexity, of redundancy that makes the other person not capable of dealing with if it's not cognitively capable enough. Hmm. Because the other person is never going to say, oh, you know what? My IQ is like 145, but yours is 150. So you're probably going to be able to abstract something farther than, than I am. That, that's it. I'm not good enough of a partner for you. You're going to get bored with me. Go with another person. Okay, my five points might not be good enough. I don't know how good IQ is in representing cognitive capacity. But if it is good, I know I haven't looked at the studies. Someone who's 90 of IQ and trying to go into a relationship with someone who's 160, 
that's, that'd be difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's super difficult. I yeah. wouldn't be like, oh, what the fuck is these two people going on here? There's some other interest. They might want money or sex or oh, there's something else going on there. Yeah. Then not just... I think the poking of the information of trying to force the other person to do the computation, the mm. super complex computation that you are capable of encrypting. The testing, yeah. Yeah, the testing. Yeah. is the basis of a relationship. What is a relationship if it's not gathering information from the other person? Hmm. What you're trying to say is you'd be more honest with the other person if you do test them. You, At least a little bit. You're always being honest if you decrypt your message hmm. enough to the basis. The basis is always honesty. I might be saying to, let's say I want to kill you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell that to you. Mm -hmm. I will want to hide it from you. And I, I'm trying to go one step farther than you. I have to be higher in status than you in order to achieve it. Because if you were higher than me in capacity to defend from a murder than me of committing it, you would avoid it. So I'm trying to be one step farther than you. I'm trying to be more like capable of, of delivering the murder than you of avoiding it. Hmm. So in that case, there's a conflict of interest. You, you don't want to be below me in that interaction. You certainly don't want to. But you never want to. If you are with a person who's higher than you in something, the other person might get bored. If it's not a teacher, you don't want to interact with people who are really lower than you. It's like a Ferrari and a Honda Civic. One car can go super fast. It's, it's got a, a motor that's like 50% on and the other one is 100%. It cannot go a, an inch faster. But it's got great mileage. I don't know. <laughs> so the, the, the Honda Civic might... Great gas mileage. <laughs> the person who's not as capable, who doesn't have as a powerful motor of a processing motor in the brain might feel uncomfortable seeing that the other motor is just going half potency. Don't you feel? So you need the partner to match you. And how are you going to be able to test if it matches or not? Doing the most complex packaging of a concept possible and seeing if the other person is able to depact mm. it. So then in this case, it, once you have a somewhat of an idea of where the person stands with their cognitive capacity, you test them, you test them, you test them, you have somewhat of an idea. Do you continue testing them or do you just now you say everything explicitly? Because you don't, you no longer need those layers of complexity to see what they would do because you know, you more or less know what they would do because you're at a similar level of cognitive capacity so you can kind of predict their actions. Is that kind of what you're saying? Hmm, yeah, interesting. I haven't thought of this, but I, I guess it makes sense because once you know that you are both in the same level, let's assume that you would get rid of the extra encrypting and decrypting. That's mm -hmm. necessary. That's energy thrown to... Yeah, like you already know what they'll probably do. Yeah. Yeah. So you're once just you get to once you get to know them enough, and you know their cognitive capacity, and you know their their background, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because obviously, it's not just contingent upon cognitive capacity. It's how is this cognitive capacity affected by their experiences, and what do they think, and what do they like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, keep going. Yeah. So if the intent of the encryption is to know more about the other person, you will always keep encrypting things in a in a way because can you know everything about the other person? Probably not. No. You can even know everything about you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there will always be encryption, but you're right. Once you know, like, you, you've got a milestone somewhere in the amount of knowledge that you can gather from a person, you're not going to decrypt your way into that always. Sometimes you might just want to, oh, let's assume that that, that milestone is at 100 meters. I can just throw a bit of information to the 100 mile and just say, let's just talk about this explicitly. Let's not encrypt or decrypt things because that's just information badly used. It's just when you're poking, when you're trying to detect how deep you are going to encrypt and decrypt because the encryption and decryption is what gives you new information about mm. the deepness of the sea. 
But when you are trying to not see the deepness because you already know it, you might want to... Because you already know it, air quotes. Yeah, yeah. air quotes. Yeah. When you already know it, you don't want to interact to see how deep it is. You just want to interact with the water that you can see. Hmm. So you're just going to say, oh, do you know where, where the banana is? I want to eat one. That's the most explicit way of saying it. Mm. Because that's the most explicit way you can gather information in. I'm, I'm sure that maybe Einstein was able to do that phrase more explicit even than I am. So it would be, a, the, the more stupid you are, the less able you are to put complex things into an easy package. Yeah. So a super intelligent person might be able to do it super efficiently. And so when you are not encrypting and decrypting, you leave cognitive capacity to just doing the good packaging of the thing that's easily to deprocess and process. So yeah, I think you're you're right. There's no there's no more need of proof of work. You already mm. know that. Yeah, it's like to a certain point probably, and then maybe you stop doing it entirely. Maybe you stop testing the person, and you're just like, all right, I know this person more or less. I have a certain idea of who they are. Maybe I don't know them entirely because it's impossible to know somebody entirely. And then this is when a factor of surprise gets kind of introduced to the, the equation. Maybe they can surprise you by something. Random happens in your life that you're not used to. And they respond in a, in a way that you haven't seen them respond to before because there hasn't been a situation for them to respond to like this. So maybe you weren't the one testing them in this scenario, but there is still some way to see something new in them. Because people change and stuff like that throughout our lives. Maybe it is necessary to keep some level of testing, but probably not as much as there was in the beginning. So it's like there's a testing, 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 get more or less an idea of what this person's about, what are their values, you know, what are the what are the walls of their personality? Can you touch them? You know, can you at least somewhat see them hazily? We're not infinitely complex beings. Everybody, you can understand them more or less. Obviously, if you had a similar level of cognitive capacity. Because some people can be obviously very different than other people. And if you're willing to think and reflect and retrospect and all these wonderful things and maybe willing to have new experiences, then you would be different than somebody else. And so that other person, and I don't necessarily like this term, but say somebody who is basic and there's somebody who's complex. The basic person wouldn't be able to understand the person who's complex. And so they'll probably try to impose walls on the complex person. But then ultimately those walls would never hold they'd never be able to withstand because the complex person would do something that the basic person has no idea like unless, why they did that. Unless the complex person wants the walls to hold. That's true. The like the, like yeah. the teacher. Yeah, the complex person could want, say for the sake of the relationship, say there's a you know really complex person, a really basic person, say, I don't know, they're together for the money or something like that, just the looks, but maybe the complex person and it could be you know iq emotional intelligence etc etc for some reason they are complex uh, maybe it's just their life experience etc so they don't have to necessarily be smarter or less smart maybe the basic person is also really smart but then they're they've chosen to not have as many experiences or not make themselves complex and so say the basic person imposes walls on the complex person the complex person then can accept those walls or reject those walls. And if they reject those walls, then they'll constantly surprise the basic person. And maybe it could cause stress or anxiety in the basic person because they can never predict the other person. And that's hard to have a relationship with somebody you cannot predict. It would cause a lot of stress as long as you're invested in it. If you're not invested in it, then you don't care. If they surprise you, fine. If they do something you, you didn't know they, they would do, fine. Probably doesn't matter if you're not invested in it. If you love the person, however, and they do something you, you cannot expect what they will do next. It's just not going to work. But there's a Goldilocks zone here too. You don't want to be able to perfectly yeah. expect the other person. 
Exactly. True. So then you would have to have, say, this one really complex person and one medium complex person. And everybody's complex, of course. You know, the human mind is, is complex. So some people choose to be less complex than, than others. Or maybe they just don't have the capacity or et cetera, et cetera. There could be a million other reasons. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But say there's one super complex, one medium complex. Mm-hmm. The medium complex person could probably know the super complex person, probably have an idea of what they're going to do more often than not. But sometimes, no. And that could be exciting for the medium person. Um, maybe they could know the complex person has certain values of certain things, so they will always do something. And then, But then in certain scenarios, they wouldn't do that something. So yeah, I guess it depends. I had a quote that I really liked that's, the talent is hitting a target that no one else can, but genius is the one who hits a target no one else can see. Ah, uh, I think Nietzsche wrote a lot about this as well. It's like, the higher we soar, the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly. So that one, that one hits. That one really hits hard. That's, that's a good deep. one. Yeah, that's a good one. Because it's like, it, the more complex somebody is, the, the more they have to impose their own walls on somebody like kind of going off of what we were saying, more or less. The really, really basic person, you know, really, really basic person and really, really, really complex person. This complex person is just in an entirely different dimension or stratosphere than the really basic person. The really basic person will have no idea what this other person is like. So they have to impose their walls on who this person is because they have no idea. If you are more complex than the other person, there's a point at which you cannot be much yes. more complex. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Goldilocks zone, essentially, is if you two can see each other in a good light. You two can see each other through some level of complexity to where you won't always know what they're going to do. But you can at least, your walls for that person, since, say, the medium complex person, the super complex person, the medium complex person is able to have the capacity to put walls far enough for the, the super complex person to where they can interact where they can know the other person in some way, even though they'll still be surprised with some things that they will do. So I guess it doesn't totally apply to this quote, but it's a, it's a good, great quote, nonetheless. It somewhat applies to it. it applies, yeah, I guess in the super complex to the basic person, because the basic person wouldn't be able to um, give walls big enough for the, big, for the super complex person. So what, what do you think about this? There's not enough of a proportion of the content of the other person inside of the walls that you constructed of the other person. I want to limit you your actions to box, and if you and if the facets of your personality are in a big proportion out of the box, you're not going to want to be in this relationship. You don't want to be limited in that way. I'm limiting you in in a lot of ways. You're not being able to talk with me in the most proficient way you you can about psychology or theology. Why? Because I don't know about that. So I'm limiting you. But you consider that limitation to not be bad enough to have a big part of you or a, a big enough part of you out of that box to be worth it, to be done. Mm. It's like what you were saying earlier, though. There are some things, and I'm not claiming to be you know, top 1% in philosophy of religion. You know, psychology, I, I don't know. I know a good bit about it, but it's not for, for philosophy. Like you were saying before with the nuclear scientists, only 1% of people can have that amount of knowledge for what they're trying to do there. I think they get quite used to the vast majority of people not understanding what they're speaking about. And I'm not claiming to be in the same exact scenario at all, but just because you bring it up. And so I guess that for the super complex person as well, they'd probably be accustomed to not everybody understanding exactly what they want to talk about. 
And so they probably get more accustomed to just doing it by themselves. Or maybe they have one friend they could do that with. And But they enjoy the conversation, the complexity of many other conversations that other people bring to the board because they like to learn learn about things. So you with markets or something like that, you know, or you with, uh, I don't know, many other things that we've spoken about in this podcast. You bring it up. So much fun to talk about. Even though we don't really talk about philosophy or religion too much. We have, I think, in the past. Yeah. But... I think that it's, you know, obviously there are some things that, that people can connect on so that the super complex person can still connect with the medium complex person or the medium complex person can still connect with the super complex person because the medium complex person could be very, very super, super complex in some ways that the super complex person has no idea. You could shift the board then that way as well. The medium complex person will be the super complex person in certain ways because obviously it's not just flat out across the board. Super complex person knows everything. There are things that some people know about, some people, other people don't know about. But then with the compromise that we were talking about earlier, they compromise to talk about some things. You know, maybe they enjoy a little bit of Marvel this time. Maybe they enjoy a little bit of, uh, I don't know, other Disney movies this time and they work it out. But then with a basic person, it'd be more difficult to do that because the gulf is wider. Maybe the basic person actively chooses to not become more complex. And that would be stifling for the super complex person. Most probably, most probably. I don't know, unless the super complex person values like physical beauty above all. And this is the basic person is like the most beautiful person in the entire world. But then it would still kind of get boring because you just have to you just stare at them all day. And what else are you going to do? Yeah, that's I read a quote recently that was you see many smart guys with beautiful and stupid girls, but you never see beautiful and smart girls with stupid and good looking guys. Hmm. Why would it go one way, not the other? Because boys are more biologically designed to value in a higher proportion beauty than girls. Hmm. Interesting. But if you say you met Einstein, you know, like super, super intelligent. And obviously he's just kind of like the, he's the classic guy to point to in this scenario. So say you choose Einstein or Nikola Tesla, like I would have a hard time seeing one of them with somebody who is just such a, in such a lower capacity to think such a lower capacity of knowledge. I feel like with somebody who's hyper intelligent, they'd have to be with somebody who's at least somewhat intelligent. Otherwise, it's just kind of like an arm piece. You know, maybe they don't actually care about the person. That's a horrible thing to say, but but it could very much happen. There could be seemingly intelligent people, seemingly successful people, and not all successful people are are intelligent. I think there are plenty of really non-intelligent successful people. Say they are with somebody who is quite dim or vice versa. Maybe they might appear intelligent, but they aren't actually intelligent in the end. Because I think that with anybody who is highly intelligent and they actually want to care about the person that they're with, say in a romantic way, then they would make an effort to find somebody who meets their intellectual capacity. Otherwise, they just get so bored. So you require some kind of connection with the other person, with the bandwidth you can manage. Not You don't ask for 100%, but there must be a percentage. Like something, yeah. no? I mean, at least I think, I feel like... If I met an Einstein or Nikola Tesla, I just couldn't imagine them with somebody who was very, very dim. Because if they cared about the person, they actually wanted to spend their life with that person. You're spending a lot of time with that person. Unless it's just some sort of person you just, I don't know, unfortunately there are scenarios like this. You just go home to at the end of the day, you know, shag a little bit, and then you don't see them the next day at all. And you, that happens every single night. And you're together, air quotes but don't actually care about the person. That could be a scenario for sure. But if they actually want to be with somebody in a romantic relationship where they can care about them, that person has to have some sort of capacity. Otherwise, they're just going to be horribly bored and not want to hear anything they have to say. Boring. Yeah. But because boringness comes from lack of intellectual interaction, but the value you posit in the other person doesn't necessarily have to come 100% from 
intellectual interaction. It, it can be many other things. So those other things that can exist apart from intellectual interaction could be deriving meaning or value to the relationship in order to make the other person consider the relationship to be valuable enough, even if the other person is super far in intellectual terms. Like you're you're adding, I don't know, I like your Ferrari. I really like it. Even if you're stupid, I will want to be with you because I really like going in your car. Or I don't know, your your money or your beauty or whatever feature you might be adding to the interaction if it's not one thing it must be other thing yeah when i see someone doing something i like the intentions to be clearly shown like a non-profit that's hazy i don't know what the fuck they want but they're for-profit company that's clear they want money i trust more profit-seeking capitalist people than non-profit companies because they are like oh yeah you want to do this yeah this might be the objective of your company but that's not like super precise that's just only barely describing what it could be and the funny thing about non-profits which is this isn't always a bad thing but it can seem problematic on the surface is that they actually do gain profit oh, wow. non-profit companies actually do gain profit throughout the year otherwise they can't they can't survive so it's actually kind of funny they actually do grow they're just as much for profit as anybody else even though their purpose is to give it away they just gain more donations. Because, I mean, it makes logical sense. If they're losing more money every year than they were gaining, they wouldn't be able to survive longer than like you know, a certain period of time, depending on how much money they have. So they do actually make profit, although they do you know, give it away. But say some don't, that'd be problematic. So at the surface, it seems problematic, but some, you know, they gain profit to give it away, and that's actually a good thing. So, so it appears a conflict of interest, like in the examples I gave, in which I wanted to kill you. I want to be, I want in connections between you and me to be the minimum amount possible. Mm. Because if you can somewhat predict what I'm going to do... I'm bailing. Yeah, <laughs> you're avoiding the, the murdering. Yeah. So I want that amount of connections to be zero. I want to be higher than you the most I can. I'm going to use 100% of my capacity. I'm not going to leave any redundancies in my cognitive capacity. I'm going to use it, everything to be as far as I can from you in order to maximize the odds of you not catching or not avoiding it or not killing me back. Yeah. But in a teacher and student interaction, that's not that way. The nature of how little connections there are between the student and the teacher is given. It's not something created or that the person with a higher complexity is building in order to avoid the other person from catching them. It's just that it had more years to develop. So the person which is more complex, it's trying to actively interact with the lower complexity person in order to maximize the growth of his complexity. In one way, I posited the interaction in which there's a conflict of interest. It's not compatible, your status and mine. That's a zero-sum game. Either you survive and I die, or either I survive and you die. Because if the only way to avoid a killing is by killing the other person, you are going to do that. That's justified. But in the interaction between two people who are different status, but the higher status or the higher knowledge person is trying to actively interact with the other person to help him go up, and in that process, the teacher is deriving pleasure. It's making it profitable, maybe not in economic terms, but in social terms. You are feeling like you are a valuable person to society. Even if then society doesn't value the job of teachers, like I think it happens. They don't get, get as appreciated as maybe they should be. But there's intentions there are aligned and they are clearly stated. I want to make you learn because I derive pleasure from it. I like my, my profession. And the student is like... There's nothing I want, but as long as you make me feel good, I, I will keep being happy. I'm a nine-year-old kid. What do I want? I don't, I don't want anything. I just want to be happy in the short term. So as long as you keep that, if you are maybe capable of doing both things simultaneously to learn and to keep him happy, that's success as mm. a teacher. 
Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, on that note, we should probably finish up, no? Hmm. Do you have any final thoughts? There's many different interactions. One's in which there's a conflict of interest and one in which there's not. Mm. And the complexities of people lead to those interactions not be fulfilling if their complexity is too distant and if the intention is not to bring the lower person up. Mm. To, to your point yeah yeah so sometimes you should mitigate your speech and not be entirely explicit and other times you should be explicit a lot of these times it depends on the dynamics of the relationship student to teacher super complex to basic honest couple to not honest couple yeah cool man stay tuned